Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, the holidays are coming up. Every day, I say, okay, th- this is the day that we're going to pivot, and we're, we're not going to talk about, like, the heavy issues, and we'll, we'll start to really lighten it up as people get into the holiday spirit. And then I start preparing the show, and there's one thing after another, and I feel my blood pressure going up and up and up, and I just shake my head at how can we be this screwed up, and the next thing you know, all right, we'll do some fun stuff, but that's a little bit later on in the program. Let's start with Wauwatosa. If you want to talk about a really, really screwed up community, that is Wauwatosa. And here's the latest example of that. We all know that Wauwatosa has been held hostage by a small, and it really is small, a couple dozen loud protesters who shut were allowed to shut down Mayfair Mall and intersections over the course of the last eight or nine months as they voiced their displeasure with what turned out to be a legitimate shooting by a police officer of a 17-year-old who was armed outside of Mayfair Shopping Center. The police officer was ultimately, Joseph Mensa was ultimately cleared of any criminal wrongdoing and cut a deal where he resigned from the Wauwatosa Police Department. That, that I, I think, was the right resolution all around. I feel bad for the officer who I think was run out of town on a rail, but sometimes you need to move on. That has not, even though he's not on the force anymore, that has not made this ragtag group of protesters in Wauwatosa happy. And they apparently, as they continue to search for meaning, uh, decide to turn up anytime they they can and, and protest stuff. For example, last Thursday night, you had a situation in downtown Wauwatosa. About 9.15 at night, you have reports that there is a woman violently attacking somebody with with a stick, you know, beating on somebody in downtown Wauwatosa. Um, after the reported attack, the woman was seen walking eastbound on Harwood Avenue in the village area of the city, like downtown Wauwatosa. Wauwatosa police officer responds. You get a call. Hey, there's this woman beating somebody else with a stick. Wauwatosa police officer who happens to be female responds. The subject immediately ran up to the officer's police vehicle and began beating it with a wooden post. (laughs) Okay, so she's attacked... She's attacked a woman. Now she's got this post and she's attacking the police car. When confronted by the officer, the subject, that would be the woman with the post, the stick, whatever, refused to comply with the officer's command. Drop the weapon and advanced on the officer with the wooden post. The officer was forced to shoot the suspect. All right. After she was shot. The woman continued to strike the squad car. Several responding officers were required to take the subject into custody. Okay, so you you understand this situation. You get the report. You're a Wauwatosa copper. You get the report. There's a lady beating another lady with a stick, a post, a bat, whatever it was. So an officer responds to the scene. You find that woman. The woman attacks your squad car and starts beating on that. The officer gets out of the car, instructs him to stop doing that. They then begin to attack the officer with the bat, the stick, the post, whatever it is. The officer is forced to draw her service weapon and shoot the woman, doesn't kill her, and even after being shot, she still continues to attack. So you have several other police officers that end up showing up. They ultimately take her into custody. All right, within an hour of this incident, 
you have some of these usual suspects in Wauwatosa who decide that they are going to protest. And within an hour of this, they're out at street corners demanding uh, demanding that there be, you know, change and the Wauwatosa Police Department reform itself. And then, of course, you know, two days later on Sunday, they show up and they stage this protest saying, we, we need reform of all this. Okay, reform, reform of what? Do you not want the cops to respond, for example, when a citizen is being beaten by another citizen with a, a post, a stick, a bat, or whatever? You just want to ignore that whole thing? So you, you get the people that protest this. We protest the fact that the officer responded and ended up having to shoot somebody when she was attacked. All right, fine. That's where it is. Well, here's, my, here's the story of the day. Sunday morning in Wauwatosa, um, right around the same time that this ragtag bunch of protesters was protesting, oh, again, the, the, the police interaction. Here's the story. A suspect is in custody after a car was stolen while a baby and a passenger were still inside the vehicle. Police, Wauwatosa police, responded to a carjacking in the 8300 block of West Blue Mound Road. All right. Blue Mound Road is a major drag going through Wauwatosa, connecting it out to Brookfield. This isn't some obscure little road or a cul-de-sac or something. This is 8300 West Blue Mound Road. Uh, here's apparently what happens. The vehicle was stolen with a passenger and a baby still inside. They were later let out of the vehicle. Officers later found the vehicle and the suspect in the 5800 block of West Silver Spring in Milwaukee. After chasing the suspect on foot, they took a 22-year-old male into custody for the car jacking. All right. Now, in this particular case, vehicle was not left unattended, but there was a passenger and there was a baby in the car. So you have this 22-year-old loser at gunpoint, jumps in the car, drives off, again, with a passenger and a baby in the car. Now, thankfully, um, they were not harmed. Thankfully, the 22-year-old criminal was caught, and that's all well and good. But I bring this up because where are the protests for this? I mean, seriously, if these people in Wauwatosa, this ragtag group of protesters, really cared one whit about trying to make their community safer, wouldn't you be protesting the carjackings? Wouldn't you be protesting the violence? Wouldn't you be protesting the shootings? You know, why don't you go out and really do something constructive? Instead of complaining about the police who are out there trying to protect and serve the community, why don't you protest that, hey, you know, maybe this is a situation where you know, we, we want more police officers. We want you to try to rein in the out-of-control crime that is going on. Go to the area around 83rd and West Blue Mount and protest the fact that you've got a criminal element who is either from Wauwatosa or more likely migrating from Milwaukee into Wauwatosa to commit crimes, why don't you go and protest the presence of criminals in your community? Is that too much to ask for? I guess so. All right, when we come back, it is one of the most outrageous decisions that you will find from a government body in a long time, and I understand that is saying a lot. Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
All right. That's interesting Christmas-related bumper music. Um, all right. Uh, all right. Here, here is, here's the deal. T- to say that crime in Milwaukee is out of control is like saying that water is wet. You know, we, we've, we've gone through this. Um, it, it's the number of homicides. It will probably be a record level of homicides, um, the, the most ever. And that's, that is saying something. Um, you have shootings that are through the roof. You have violent crimes that are through the roof. You have then the other sort of crimes that are through the roof. It, it is just, for whatever reasons, crime is, is out of control. And in fairness, what's going on in Milwaukee is not unlike what is going on or unique to other, to Milwaukee. Um, other urban areas are experiencing out of control crime as well. What is interesting is in Milwaukee, the response has been, all right, let's cut the police department. Let's let's chase out a law and order police chief because he won't pander to some of the most left wing elements of the community who are anti-police. Let's chase him out. All right. Then because admittedly budgets are tough, let's cut the police force. Let's cut the police budget so that the way it stands um, now 120 fewer police officers will be on the street where we are people have left we're not going to fill the jobs we're going to save money by 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 not filling police jobs all right so you've got that going on well here was one thing that was out there the feds the u.s department of justice rolled out a number of months ago a, a proposal and a series of grants that they were going to give to various local communities in an effort to fight violent crime. The program was called Operation Legend. And what they do is they give money to different communities. They, they essentially pick up the tab for police officers um, to, to be part of this Operation Legend team. And then what the police officers will do is they will work with state and, and, and federal authorities on let, let's go let's investigate the violence let's let's go after the gun trafficking rings let's go after the carjacking rings let's 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 concentrate again on on the these larger scale criminal operations that are destroying the quality of life in the community now they're, so they're going to give the feds are going to give the city of Milwaukee 9.7 million dollars and, and by the way I, I understand that there, there's no such thing as free money it, it doesn't grow on trees but given Given all the ways that we spend money, like a $40 million grant for a, 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 a bus rapid transit line, $9.7 million in federal money is going to Milwaukee instead of going to somewhere else to um, pay for cops, I think is a pretty good idea. Now, the city of Milwaukee Common Council, the gang that couldn't shoot straight, the dumpster fire that is the Common Council, initially they said, well, we're not sure we want the dough. We're, we're not sure about this because one of the requirements of this of getting this money is that you have to commit to helping the feds with immigration enforcement. And, and we're 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 not sure that we want to do that. So the federal government came back and said, tell you what, we'll 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 drop that out. We, we will not require you to commit to the immigration enforcement aspect of this. OK, so nine point seven million dollars in federal money. That would have would have paid for thirty police officers to again work with these larger task forces to try to deal with violent crime. All right. Now it would seem to me 
that if you look up the definition of the term no-brainer in the dictionary, this would be it. The feds are going to give you almost $10 million so you can have 30 cops that are going to concentrate on, on violent crime. All right, this, 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 this is this is great. Well, um, let's see, what's the date of this? Late November, the Common Council said, okay, well, we're still not sure about this. You know, we don't we don't know if we really want this, even now that you have removed the, the whole requirement that you cooperate with immigration. Okay, you know, all right, so they put it over. They put the decision over till today. I will read you the first couple lines of the story on JS Online. The Milwaukee Common Council on Tuesday morning rejected a nearly $10 million three-year grant for 30 new police officers following months of grappling over financial and philosophical considerations. Philosophical considerations. People are dying at record numbers on the streets of Milwaukee, and you have some of these members of the Common Council that are, well, philosophically, I, am I opposed? I'm, a, I'm opposed to having, I don't know, experienced police officers work with federal officers trying to get violent criminals off the street. Without the grant, without the grant, the police department, instead of losing 120 police officers, will now lose 150 officers. Um, so 30, here, here's the way the story goes. The 9.7 million three-year grant from the U.S. Department of Justice was aimed at allowing the department to participate in Operation Legend, a federally backed program to address violent crime. It would have facilitated the department's assigning of experienced officers to task forces related to the operation. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, I swear, I, I don't even know what to say about stuff like this other than will the last law-abiding person to bail on the city of Milwaukee please remember to turn out the lights? In what world does the city of Milwaukee turn down $10 million that would have allowed it to keep 30 more police officers on the force working to try to end violent crime or at least arrest some of the violent criminals. Now, obviously, that that's part of the issue here. You've got members of the Common Council that don't want to see aggressive law enforcement and would rather, gee, I'm going to complain about Madison not passing enough gun laws as opposed to having cops on the street that are actually out arresting bad guys. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely 100% outrageous Nine members of the Common Council voted no. The six who voted yes were Cavalier Johnson, um, Alderman Robert Bauman, Jocasta Zamoripa, Michael Murphy, Mark Borkowski, Scott Spiker. Every other alderman or woman voted no. And as a result, there'll be 30 fewer Milwaukee police officers on the streets. They're turning their back on $10 million, which would have kept cops on the street for the next three years working with a federal task force. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I tell you, I, I am speechless. This is, this is nine members of the Common Council raising their fist and extending one finger to the community in the city of Milwaukee. And you know what finger that is. We discuss in a moment. 
From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, breaking news, multiple reports saying that the NBA's MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo, is signing a contract extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. The two-time MVP will reportedly sign a five-year $228 million Supermax extension with the franchise. This is the largest deal in NBA history. Keep it tuned right here to WTMJ as we learn more information on this breaking news. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so the NBA season is scheduled to start five or six days from now. The the big cloud sort of hanging over the Milwaukee Bucks has been whether or not Giannis, the two-time consecutive NBA's most valuable player, arguably the best player in the NBA right now, whether he would sign a contract extension or not. He was in the last year of his contract, so he was going to play this year for the Bucks regardless. The way the NBA works is that the in in an effort to try to stop discourage players from moving around because you know you you, you don't you don't like that. I mean, you you know it the it, from a fan's perspective, there's nothing more frustrating than, you know, watching a player come up and you get devoted to the player and then all of a sudden they're, they're gone. And I, I mean, I, I understand that's the nature of the business. But in order to discourage that, the NBA has this deal where in order to keep a player on a team, that team can play the player more to stay than other teams can play him to go, can pay him to go. Now, the problem with that is, we're talking about incredible amounts of money. And the, the contract that Giannis signed is worth like $220 million over five years. All right, th- th- an enormous amount of money. At some point in time, and I understand this, this sounds silly, but at some point in time, money really doesn't matter. I mean, seriously, is there that much of a difference between $220 million and $190 million or, or whatever? I mean, there's only so much money you can spend even after you've paid all your taxes and things like that. So... Some players do move around quite a bit in search of that they want they want the championship because it doesn't really matter do you make two hundred million or do you make one hundred and eighty million it's all the money that they can spend and their kids can spend and their grandkids can spend and their great grandkids can spend it's more the deal of hey you know we want to play on a good team we want to win championships and things of the like so that's it's not just a matter of money for a lot of the real superstars it's the team convincing them that it's a solid organization and they're committed to making the player happy and doing what needs to be done now Giannis did not have to sign his new contract um, before the start of the season. But the way the NBA rules work is that if you don't sign this contract before the start of the season, you can't sign one till the season ends. So in at least you can't sign the Supermax five-year extension. You could, I guess, sign shorter-term deals. So the issue was, even though there wasn't a particular time pressure, if Giannis had not agreed to sign a new deal... This would have been a cloud hanging, a cloud and a huge distraction hanging over the Bucks organization for this entire season. Because everywhere the team went, every time they went on the road, I guarantee you the story would have been 
Giannis hasn't re-signed. Oh, now he's in L.A. Maybe the Clippers are going to make a deal. Maybe the Lakers are going to make a deal. Now he's in San Francisco. Now maybe he'll go with Golden State. It would have been this huge distraction because that would have been the question. That would It wouldn't have been how well are the Bucks doing, how are the other teams doing, here's the preview for the game. It would be, okay, Giannis hasn't signed, and so let's ask him questions about maybe he's considering coming to you know uh, Los Angeles to be a Clipper and to play with Paul George or, or whatever. It would have been a huge distraction. On top of that, I am I am the guy that, that grew up before free agency was really rampant like in baseball. And baseball was my sport of choice growing up. And so I can remember that you would have players that would play their entire career for one team. The, the Robin Younts, the Jim Gantners of the world. Now, admittedly, that didn't happen even back then. It didn't happen all that often. But it, it was very, very cool that you could watch a player when they came up as a youngster and then, you know, watch them through their entire career. It, it built that fan loyalty. Nothing is more frustrating to fans than seeing, oh, we've got a really good player and now we can't afford to keep the player or we're not willing to make the commitment to keep the player. That's why we in Wisconsin have been so very, very privileged to have, well, Aaron Rodgers, what's he in his 13th year or something like that, you know, play his entire career with the Packers. I don't know if he's going to finish his career out with the Packers or not, but, you know, he, he's played his entire career with the Packers. The Brewers stepped up to the plate and made a deal for Christian Yelich. And so, I mean, Christian Yelich, who I understand he, he had a bad year last year, but that last year was a weird year. Christian Yelich, you can argue, is one of the two or three best players, maybe the best player in Major League Baseball. He's going to be a Brewer for essentially the rest of his career as a practical matter. And now, with this deal, the Bucks have guaranteed that Giannis is going to be, well, it's a five-year deal, so I mean, I guess theoretically he'll be in a position to sign another one. He's still going to be in his like early 30s, I think, when the, this deal expires. So maybe he's going to move somewhere else. But the bottom line is, for the next five years, you've got Giannis as a Milwaukee Buck. And he could have gone anywhere he wanted. He could have made the decision not to sign right now and to wait and to take his time and to say, okay, I'm going to just see how all this plays out. And maybe, just maybe if he had done that, other than the distraction, he, he he would have, it could have perhaps been even more financially lucrative for him. But instead, he's decided to go with a $228.8 million deal. It is the largest in NBA history. His tweet says, this is my home. This is my city. I'm blessed to be able to be part of the Milwaukee Bucks for the next five years. Let's make these years count. The show goes on. Let's get it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line for the Bucks organization, for Bucks fans, and for this community. I think this is a great early Christmas present. If he hadn't signed, it would have been a distraction all year. If he left in next summer, I think it would have been, I don't want to say death blow, but it would have been a blow to the Bucks organization that I think would have taken him a long time to recover for. As it is now, you know that you've got arguably one of the two or three best players in the NBA who's going to be playing down at Fiserv for the next five years. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
I think this is an incredibly big deal. It is an incredibly positive development, like I say, not just for the Bucks, but also for the fan base and also for the community. Because this guarantees, this guarantees, I think, that there's going to be a lot of interest in the Bucks for the next five years, which is good for the community because even if you're not a Bucks fan and even if you don't go to the Bucks games, well, okay, it's going to be good for all those businesses that are springing up in the shadow of Fiserv and things because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be going. 855-616-1620. I could not be more pleased for the community. I could not be more pleased for the team. Um, and for Bucks fans, I think it's a great deal as well. Your reaction, 855-616-1620, and I'm glad it's over. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Jeff, Giannis has provided a great economic benefit to our city, so I think this is a huge deal. More important, it shows that the little guy NBA markets can compete with the Lakers and the Warriors of the league. Um, yeah, I mean, typically Milwaukee hasn't been able to pay the big time money to keep superstars. Now, in this particular case, you know, the, the Bucks owners, and I understand they've got a they've got local ownership who's invested, but the the principal Bucks owners are are you know New York hedge fund operators. But they, they, it doesn't matter. You know, they've said that they're willing to you know spend. As a matter of fact, I think they're going to go up to the the hard salary cap this year. They're willing to spend money to bring a championship team to, uh, to have a champion team, and I, I give them a lot of credit for that. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I think it's great for Bucks fans. It's great for Milwaukee business, and it's especially great for parents who have already purchased Giannis jerseys for their kids for Christmas this year. And I think he's just a good guy. He doesn't have an attitude like some of the other NBA players we've we've heard about lately. Yeah, I don't know. I've never met him, but I, I that's the sense I get that he's he doesn't have he doesn't have this attitude. My, and again, sometimes you know, I mean, everybody thought Tiger Woods was just the greatest guy in the world till it all you know it all fell in. But I, I think I mean, my my sense is that Giannis is the real deal, and he's a, a genuinely good good guy with a family, you know, a good family man and stuff like that. And he could have gone anywhere, and he decided to stay here. And I think that's a credit to the organization. Yeah, and I remember like videos like with him um, with a girl who drew the picture of him, yeah. and how he came around the table and got a picture with him, and stuff like that. You know, sticks in my mind and makes me think that he's he's definitely not a jerk. Yeah, no, I think that that's always been that's always been my sense as well. And and one of the things I think is so cool about Giannis is that. You know, I mean, he wasn't the number one pick in the NBA draft. He's a guy who's really developed over the years. And, and, and look, the, the Bucks, credit to the Bucks organization. They, I think, have done everything they possibly could to build a team around him, uh, to encourage him to stay. And I think they've done everything they possibly could to, you know, say, Hey, look, we're, we're, we're really committed to winning and, you know, we want you here. And like he says, Milwaukee's his home. I think that's cool. Laura says, Jeff, this is the best Christmas gift we could get for the future. Hallelujah. Um, Jeff, at least, uh, here's a text. Giannis is giving the city a reason to be proud. Um, yes. Jeff, I'm glad he signed. I'm not looking forward to increased uh, ticket prices though. Well, you know, you can't have, you can't have everything. Let's talk to um, James in Milwaukee. Hi, James. How you doing, Jeff? Good. What do you think? Let's hope that uh, Giannis can stay healthy, mm-hmm. and let's hope that we can put uh, fans in the stands to uh, 
to see him and everything else. I think just like all other uh, players and stuff like that, they feed off the, you know, the the intensity from the fans in the stands and stuff like that. But if there ain't fans in the stand, you know, you're going you're going through the you're going through the motions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's good. It's good that he is. He's mm-hmm. he's uh, staying with us and that. Let's hope we can uh, this year we can. Uh, Make something happen, uh, not right. Uh, to uh, right. And, and thanks to culture and for the the next couple of years. You know, um, we, there's a piece up on our, our our webpage written by you know Kevin Wells, who's one of our news guys, and and he, he makes a really interesting point as well. That um, look, the the NBA players players want to play with other good players. That That's just the reality. And players want to win titles. So one of the things that's out there, and this is a question. Not for this year, but but maybe moving forward, you're going to have other players. And again, I think I think Giannis is genuinely liked uh, around the the league. I, my guess is that there again there's there's some players that the players don't want to play with and things like that. I don't think Giannis is that guy. So by having Giannis here for the next five years, what you do is you make Milwaukee a destination that maybe where some of the other, you know, superstar players might might want to play. Hey, I'm you know, you got somebody who's, you know, coming towards the end of their career but still incredibly talented or whatever and, and wants to win a championship well hey I can go to Milwaukee and I can play with Giannis and you know I can help out and I can get that championship I mean I, it's just it is great on on so many levels now look I understand because of a, a number of things with regard to the social justice movement stuff like that I'm getting a lot of text by that uh, from that I mean I understand the bucks are somewhat as an organization somewhat controversial but here's the bottom line this is incredibly good for the city of Milwaukee and this is incredibly good for southeastern Wisconsin and it's good for Wisconsin you know the the they will be there's a huge investment in in Pfizer forum there's a huge investment surrounding Pfizer Forum with all those different businesses and all. And any the excitement that the basketball team brings, that that generates stuff. It generates economic activity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very, very good thing. And candidly, I was actually thinking last night, I think, boy, I really hope he gets around to signing this because if if we're hanging out there for the next six, seven, eight months, that's going to be the dominant story. It's not going to be, gee, might the Bucks win the NBA championship this year? Or, gee, have we finally gotten to the point with COVID where we can get people back in? The, the conversation's going to be, well, is Giannis going to bail or not? And, and now that's off the table. Concentrate on basketball. Concentrate on getting people safe uh, from COVID. Concentrate on getting these businesses reopened. And let's concentrate on getting the economy humming again and getting people back working. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Now, it is true that for people to go downtown and attend Bucks games, they need to feel safe. And uh, you, you just kind of wonder between the Common Council and the Fire and Police Commission and the mayor what they're going to do to assure people's safety. But I'm hoping they're going to work it out. Uh, the, the, the Common Council, in addition to, as we were talking about earlier, now turning down a $10 million grant, they're, they're, still, they're, they're still considering. Right now we have... We do, we do not have a police chief. We have an acting police chief whose last day is sometime next week. Um, we have a common council who's deadlocked 
on who the next chief is going to be. We have a common council that has got to appoint a, a seventh member to the Fire and Police Commission. The person nominated by the mayor is somebody who I think could fairly be described as anti-police. As a community organizer, she's pushed for police out of the schools. She's pushed for major cuts, significant defunding of the police department to the tune of like $75 million. And this is who Tom Barrett thinks should be the person to come onto the Common Council and cast the deciding vote on who the next police chief is going to be. Um, Right now, it's she's working her way through the Common Council appointment procedure, although apparently they, they've skipped a couple steps and her background check isn't done. So you don't know exactly when this is going to happen. But but the bottom line is, all right, if, if all these good things that are going on in the city of Milwaukee with development and things like that, it's going to mean anything. The, the powers that be have to get a handle on crime. And candidly, based on what the Common Council is doing, based on what the Fire and Police Commission are doing, and based on what the mayor is doing, you get the idea that none of them have a clue at all as to how to deal with the out-of-control crime rate. And all these other good things that might be going on don't matter if people aren't going to be safe. Again, I don't know that there's anything you can do to put out the dumpster fire that is the Common Council, to put out the dumpster fire that is the Fire and Police Commission, or to put out the dumpster fire that crime control in the mayor's office has become. I don't know what you do, but they got to figure it out. Or all the great news and all the great developments and any good businesses you attract to Milwaukee, that all becomes academic if people do not feel safe because they're not safe. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Hey, credit for this uh, story goes to my friend Judy Steffes. Judy was, um, uh, w- when I first started years and years ago on radio at another station up to dial, Judy worked there. And then later on, Judy came and worked for us as a news person for a while. And, um, for the last number of years, she's run a, a, a website called the Washington County Insider up in, in Washington County, where they break news related to West Bend and Washington County. Does a really great job. She she broke this story. I guess it's, it's not a surprise because we had some indications of it before. John McGivern, who is a just a, a regional treasure, and, and John McGivern, the comedian who is, well, perhaps best known for his his PBS, Milwaukee PBS show, Around the Corner, where um, they, they've done nine seasons of it, and he will go to a different community and highlight things. Um, that that was, it was put on hold this year because of the pandemic, obviously, so they didn't film the, the new season of this. We talked to John McGivern uh, during our WTMJ 2021 entertainment segment, and we were talking a little bit about the future of it, and I, I don't know if he said this on the air or he said it off the air when we were just discussing things, but it was it was very unclear about whether or not that show would be renewed. And apparently, at least according to uh, Judy Steffes and the Washington County Insider, um, over the weekend, he w- was doing his Christmas show out in uh, Hartford and apparently announced there in the question and answer session that, that, that the show had been had been canceled or, or not renewed or you know, whatever phrase you want to do it. Apparently, um, you know, PBS has said, look, we Milwaukee PBS has said, we, we understand that people love this, but um, their statement is, in light of the economic realities stemming from the pandemic and the substantial costs of the series, because, you know, you got to take 
the crew on the road and things like that. We are unable to continue the production of Around the Corner with John McGivern. And um, then apparently John says that, you know, he's, you know, he'd be open to continuing this if he could, you know, um, come up with an independent production model. In other words, you know, find investors or himself to put on the show and then PBS might consider airing it. That's that's always a tough way to go. But, um, you know, maybe it's you know maybe it is the pbs says milwaukee pbs will continue will increase its focus in 2021 on the impact of covid19 racial injustice and economic disparity on southeast wisconsin these critical issues are the station's commitments to the communities it serves and i think that's all well and good i think that's all well and good but you know what um, somewhere in between focusing on the impact of COVID-19, racial injustice, and economic disparity on southeast Wisconsin, somewhere in there, you would think that maybe Milwaukee PBS would be able to squeeze in, I don't know, some feel-good programming that people like to watch, like Around the Corner. But in any event, if you were a fan of Around the Corner, PBS is not going to produce another season of it. And that's uh, that's that's just too bad. Um, that is just too bad. All right. I'm curious as to your reaction to this story. I have flown once since the pandemic, and the you, you need all the airlines have different rules with regard to this. But I think almost all the airlines now require you to wear a mask when you fly, and they're they're very clear about that. And I think the only thing that varies a little bit might be the age. How how young you have to be, how young you can be without wearing a mask. But the airlines, they, they don't make a secret of this. And this, what we're going to discuss, isn't the discussion about whether people should have to wear masks on airplanes or not. The airlines, I would hope we would all agree, have the right to make the rules. And if they say, okay, kids, you know, people five and older have to wear masks and you want to fly on a plane, and people five and older have to wear masks. If they say people two and older have to wear masks, then that's the rule. Now, you can argue, oh, that's ridiculous. A two- or a three-year-old shouldn't have to wear a mask, and that's not that's not a reasonable thing to expect them. But I think airlines have the right to make that rule. And you, I think, as a passenger have a, or a, a potential ticket buyer, you have an obligation to inform yourself about what the rules are and then then decide whether you want to follow them. I think that's ridiculous. I'm not going to be on a three and a half hour flight to Las Vegas wearing a mask. Oh, OK, that, that's fine. Then then drive or, or, or do do something else. You know, nobody's holding a gun to your head making you get on that plane. But if the airline expresses what its rules are, I think that, you know, they have a right and, matter of fact, an obligation to enforce them, which brings me to the story. The headline is Colorado mom reacts to being kicked off plane when two-year-old refused to wear mask. She says it was humiliating. United Airlines says everybody on board, two and older, must wear a mask. Now, that's so here is the story. Apparently, the other day, you've got a, a Colorado mother um, and a father, they're on this plane. This goes back a, a few days. And what happened is they get on the plane, mom and daughter, mom and dad get on the plane with a two-year-old, with their daughter, who is two years old. United has a policy that says two and older have to wear masks. Now, maybe it's a stupid policy. I don't know. But, but it is their policy. So they get on 
They get on the plane with their their two year old, um, and uh, where are they flying? They're flying from Colorado to, to, to. I'll figure that out in just a second. So they're getting on. They're getting on the plane. They don't have a mask for the for the kid. Kid's not wearing a mask. So the flight attendant says, "How old is the child?" They say, um, "She's two. All right. The flight attendant says, "Well, the, the child is going to have to wear a mask." They say, "Well, we don't have a mask." So the flight attendant says, "Okay, fine. Here, here we we have a mask. Here, here's a mask. The child needs to wear the mask. All right." So then, what happens is the two-year-old, being a two-year-old, is refusing to wear the mask. The two-year-old is pulling at it and pulling it off and, and struggling to the point that um, you know one of the, the dad then kind of like grabs the mask and kind of puts it. Puts it. I just was doing that with my hand. Puts it over the kid's mouth, you know, to try to to try to hold it there. But the kid is having none of this. At which point in time, you know, the the I don't know if it's the pilot or the co-pilot or whatever comes and says, "Look, here, here's the deal. You know, she she has to wear this mask. She's clearly not wearing the mask, and so you, you can't be on this flight." So, yeah, she she's told she has to get off the, the flight. Um, you know, the woman is upset. She says, we're premier members with United. We've flown many times. And, you know, they, they say, look, United's saying, this is our policy, and this is our rules, and we disclose it clearly that if you're over two, you have to be able to wear the mask. And if you can't do that or won't do it and the kid won't comply, sorry, you don't get to fly. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I'm one of these guys who for years and years has railed against the rules or rules mentality. And I don't know, you know, personally, is two years old too young to expect a kid to wear a mask on a plane? Is there a, a real risk that the two-year-old might infect other people if they're wearing, if they're not wearing the mask. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't claim to be a doctor. Don't know all those different things. But I do know that United has this rule, and the rule says two and older have to wear the mask. The family either was not aware of that, we'll call them clueless, or they were aware of it and didn't care because they don't even have a mask for the kids. So this obviously was something that they did not intend to comply with. The kid refuses to comply. They can't get the kid to comply, so United tosses them from the plane. Was United wrong? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be no. And because my guess is there's a lot of other passengers on the plane who, in deciding to fly United to Fort Myers instead of South, and this was a flight to Fort Myers, but United flies there now, uh, deciding to fly United to Fort Myers instead of Delta or Southeast or American or whatever, you know, they they looked at the policy and said, okay, this is their policy, and people are over the age of two are going to have to be wearing masks. Well, it, if other people relied on it, I think the airline has to enforce the rule. 855-616-1620 was united in the wrong. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I see there as being two issues here. On, on the one hand, you can argue United Airlines, which has a policy that if you know, everybody two and older has to wear masks. You can argue that that is a stupid policy. You can say there's, there, there, it's not practical. There's no need for small children to have to do it. It is an overreaction. 
I, I respect that argument, but that's not what this discussion is. United has made that policy. They've made it very, very clear. That's what the rule is. You can argue it's a dumb rule. Fine. You can decide, hey, this is not reasonable. I am not going to fly on United Airlines because of this policy because no two-year-old can comply with it. I get all that. But it is their rule. They clearly express it. Last Sunday, what happens is you get this family that gets on a United flight. They're going from uh, Denver to Newark. They've got a two-year-old. They don't have a mask on the two-year-old. The flight attendant says, how old's the kid? They say, well, she's two. You got to put a mask on her. Well, we don't have a mask. So they give her a mask. She refuses to keep the mask on. Understood. Get it. That, that, that's a, that is an issue. The father is trying to, like, put the mask over her face. The kid is struggling. It's not going to work. So they say, we're, we're sorry. You're not going to be able to fly on the plane. And the lady goes to the Internet complaining about this. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think the complaint is with United. I mean, not at this point in time. United has the rule. You can argue it's a dumb rule, but I think you have a responsibility to comply with this. Um, Jeff, United was not wrong in enforcing their policy. They have no obligation to be the parents of the child. They don't even have to offer their guests masks, but they do. Jeff, then after other two, three, four-year-olds want to take off their masks, too, and be comfortable, it it's... It's tough. Yeah, I think, Jeff, other ticket holders bought the tickets maybe because their policy, the airline, was right. Jeff, United is totally wrong. Two years old is much too young to be forced to wear a mask. Okay, and, and again, that that might be okay. That might be right. That might be why, you know, you can argue to United it's a dumb policy. But that's what they say their policy is. So I don't think the parents get to complain they might be able to get to complain saying, hey, this is a dumb policy. I don't think the parents get to complain and say, well, we should not have to comply. Jeff, I am pro-mask. I have a two-year-old son at home. The United Airlines rule seems far-fetched to me. How do you reason with a two-year-old? They do not exhibit rational behavior. Well, yes, and, and I, I agree with all that. That's why you know it, it is probably not going to work. And if you're considering flying with a two-year-old, um, who who isn't going to sit with the mask. All right, maybe you should try to look for another way to get there. Maybe find an airline that, that doesn't require two-year-olds to wear masks. I don't know if they're there. Or maybe consider driving or, or maybe delay the trip. They were going to visit family. Maybe delay the trip for, you know, for a while. Uh, but, but again, that to me isn't the issue. The issue is it, it's their rule. They disclose it. And I, I think it's reasonable to ask passengers to follow it, even if it's even if it's a dumb rule. If you're going to object to it, the time to object to it isn't when you get seated on the plane. Let's talk to Sandra in Jackson. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, I just wanted to put my two cents in. My granddaughter just turned three, and we've been trying to put a mask on her since she was two. And just now she's allowed it. So I think the age limit's wrong. But right. aside from that, they better be sure that when you book the flight, you're told that that's what happens that when you're on the plane. I don't know that the family knew ahead of time. Uh, well, they say they fly United a lot. I, I don't know. I, I think, in all honesty, my guess is the family knew and didn't care. <laughs> I just didn't think that that it was going to end up being a big deal, and it, it turned out to be. But I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that they have to disclose it. But in all the stuff I'm hearing, they're not saying they didn't know about it. They're just saying, hey, this wasn't. You know, it was an extreme reaction to toss us off the plane. Um, maybe, 
but I guess I sympathize with these airlines because if you if you don't make the kid wear the mask, you know what happens when the five year old doesn't want to wear the mask? How you know where do you draw the line? Well, there's a big difference between a two year old and a five year old. As I said, my granddaughter wouldn't wear it until just now that she's turned three. We finally have gotten it through to her that it's okay. But before that, it was just a battle of pulling it off. And yeah. a two year old is a two year old. I could see above three or three and above, but. You know that's too young. It's a silly rule. Well, I think they. Well, and that Sandra, you. I'm and I'm not defending the rule. Again, I, I that's you might be right that that it's a silly rule, and and I, I think it would be interesting as to why did you decide to? What what is the empirical evidence? Is there a, a higher likelihood that the two year old is going to infect people on the plane? Recognizing that you know trying to get a two year old to comply is 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 a is a struggle. And so I mean I understand all that. But the reason, again, I'm not sympathetic to the parents is that this is a disclosed United rule. I They didn't care about it. That's the bottom line. They, they knew this was going to be a struggle. They didn't care about it or they didn't want to check it or they wanted to you know, be like ostriches and pretend it doesn't exist. But if they're regular flyers, I, I think they had to know that this rule was there. And they just thought, OK, well, you know, we're. It's not going to be vigorously enforced. United chose to enforce it. Jeff, United is totally wrong. Two years old is much too young to be forced to wear a mask. That's an issue. But that's an issue at the underlying rule. And like I say, that the time, if that's United's rule, buy a ticket on another airline. It, it's, it's that simple. If you want to protest the rule, go with God. That's fine. Jeff, knowing this, um, I have a three-year-old. Wearing a mask for the three-year-old is not happening. Knowing this, I would choose an airline with a different policy. You know, absolutely. Jeff, this is ridiculous for such a young child, but as a parent of a five-year-old and a two-year-old who has flown with children pre-COVID, I always check the airlines for rules, especially regarding children without state-issued ID. The parent should have known and followed the rules no matter how stupid that they are. And and I get it. I, I understand that. Um, Jeff, personally, I do not like wearing a mask, but I accept a business's right to mandate it. Yeah, that's that's kind of the issue to me as well. Jeff, first of all, I have a granddaughter as two, and I know she would never wear a mask an entire flight. Those parents should have known, and they should have known the rules. I don't feel sorry for them. I don't believe in masks, but it is, in fact, their rule. Jeff, United had to adopt the policy. My brother is a pilot for United. Before the rule, he said people were so crazy with not wanting to wear a mask that pilots had to get involved. He would rather fly the plane than deal with unruly passengers. You know, that's kind of it as well. You, you just, you, you, set a, you set a rule. They've set an age limit. Maybe it's a silly age limit. I respect that. Jeff, United owns the airline. They can do what they want. If you don't want to fly on the airplane, don't buy the ticket. Um, Jeff, I'm sure that many boardroom meetings were held by United to come up with the rule. The discussions were probably like a lot of the calls and the texts that you are getting. Jeff, I always say flying is a privilege, not a right. Airlines make the rules. Jeff, two-year-olds can be taught to obey. It's not a bad rule, however. That's not the point. The parents should have obeyed the rule, not complained later. I think United is correct in 
every way. Jeff, my mother just flew from Wisconsin to Florida in October. We had a difficult time locating mask information on on empty middle seats. Um, wait times for phone calls to the airlines were very long. Yeah, but again, I don't think these these parents aren't arguing that they didn't know about the rule. The, the parents are saying... Well, you know, they, they should have just let it go because she's two years old and dad was holding the, the mask on the kid's face. And, but you know, how, how are you going to do that on a flight from Denver to Newark, which is probably like three and a half, four hours or whatever? That's not a practical solution. I mean, clearly the two-year-old wasn't going to be buying into the program and United felt it had to force enforce the rules. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I didn't do the math myself, but one of our textures says it translates to $11,700 per minute for Giannis. That would be per minute on the court. That's probably before taxes, but you know, but it's just, it's just, I, I just, you, I, I'm just trying to imagine what that, that, what that kind of, what that paycheck looks like and what those deductions and stuff look like. It's, uh, huh, go figure. All right. We, we know that the vaccine is starting to be rolled out and the, the two classes of, of people that are getting it first are people in the healthcare field and people who are in nursing homes. The reason the people in the healthcare field are getting it is because they're working in the front lines and they're dealing with patients who have it. You don't want the healthcare workers to get infected. You don't want them to give it to other people. So that that makes sense. The, the nursing homes, why are they giving it to people in nursing homes and assisted living? Because that's where percentage-wise per capita, that's where the highest number of deaths occur. Why is that? Because we know that while COVID can have, COVID can kill the, the healthy 29-year-old. We, we know that. But that statistically, if you're 29 and you get it, you are much more statistically likely to not have a bad reaction than if you're 89 years old and you get it. That That's just the reality. The older you get, the more dramatic the impact of COVID is. Plus, you combine that with the fact that a lot of people who are older have other sort of health issues that are going on. And so that's why people in nursing homes are at a very high, you know, they're a very high risk group. That's why people in nursing homes have been, and we've talked about this before, have been in some cases, you know, isolation and things like that where, you know, families haven't been allowed into the facilities to see them and, and maybe there's been visits, you know, through windows or stuff like that, but it's been very, very difficult. So obviously it is a high priority. All right. Now there are some people who are vaccine skeptical. And the thing I hear a lot is, well, you know, we, we just, we're not sure. We think this thing was fast-tracked, it, it might be rushed, and we don't want to be the quote-unquote guinea pigs. That's the, the phrase I hear from a lot of people. We don't want to be the guinea pigs. We're not anti-vaccine necessarily, but we don't want to be in, in the first wave. That That is really playing out when it comes to people in older people and, you know, you can define older however you want, but you know people who are in the nursing homes and all. I got a I got a text the other day from somebody who was saying that, you know, they're they have a a parent in a nursing home, and the parent was in their eighties somewhere, and they were you know so they were really wrestling 
with whether or not they thought their parent should be vaccinated, should receive this vaccination. Because, hey, if the, if the idea is if you get COVID, you're very, very vulnerable. What about the idea that if you're 87 years old in, in a nursing home with other sort of compromised situations and you happen to have an adverse reaction to this, well, then it's, it's going to be really bad. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I lost my parents... Five, ten years ago, ten years ago for my mom, five years ago for my dad. So I, but, and, and it, but at the end of their lives, they were living in nursing homes slash assisted living type of, of facilities. And, you know, once the, this person raised this issue to me, I guess I, I was thinking that, all right, if my folks were alive, how would I feel about them being quote unquote first in line to get this vaccine. Now, I'm not an anti-vaccine guy. I have said that I, I expect that when it is available to to someone like me, I'm, I'm going to be there to, to get it. Uh, I, I don't have adverse reactions to, you know, vaccines. I get the flu shot every year. You know, I, I do all that stuff. So I'm not an anti-vaccine guy, and, and I plan to line up and do it. But it is interesting to me all right, we're we're talking about we're saying our most vulnerable populations are the one that needs it. Um, they're going to be first in line. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you hesitate encouraging your older friend if if you knew somebody that was in the nursing home that type of facility? Would you encourage them to be? First in line to get the vaccine. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, if my folks were alive, I would encourage them to get the vaccine. If they were alive and in a nursing home, I would encourage them to get it. I'm sure my mom would. I'm not sure about my dad. My dad, he could be contrary at times, but I, I, I would, I would encourage him to do it. But this is this legitimate dispute that's coming out. You know, for for people out there who are wondering, has it been tested enough, etc. You know, first in line are going to be some of the people who are most vulnerable, including people in nursing homes. Let's start with uh, Kathy in Rio. Kathy, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I, can, I actually even I even know where Rio is, by the way. That you're kind of oh, like about forty minutes yeah. north of Madison or so, right? Uh, only about a half hour. Okay, <laughs> right. Yeah, but, but, but a very but a very small town. Got it. And um, I have my folks live in Manitowoc. Uh, they are in a um, senior living facility where my dad is in independent living. My mom is in the same complex but it uh, was in the nursing home part. Mm-hmm. They have been separated or isolated from each other for, well, since March. And this vaccine is coming a little bit too late for my mother. She contracted COVID um, around the middle of November, and she died two mm-hmm. weeks ago. So I'm we so just sorry for your loss. So sorry for your loss. How old was she? She was 87, mm-hmm. and she had some dementia. And so couldn't really take care of herself, and um, she ended up in the nursing home. But she had a lot of life to left sure. to live, and she missed my dad terribly. Mm-hmm. You know, she was waiting to get out so she could go see him again. Right. So, and the sad part is, is that they were the sad part for these elderly people is the isolation. Right. If you know this vaccine is coming just a little bit too late to help her, we will definitely be getting it for my dad 
mm-hmm. who's 90. Um, but I wish it was here a little bit sooner so Mom could have had it, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I guess that's that's kind of how I I look at this as well. I mean, I and I am sure that there's going to be some people who have an adverse reaction to this all across the spectrum. But I, I think that the good from this just so outweighs that. That I mean, if that's what I was saying, if I if my parents were alive and and they asked me, what do you think? I'd say, look, look, get it. as long as the doctor, as long as you don't have a history of having reactions and things like that. If the doctor says it's safe to get get it because you you don't want to catch covid because you're so you in that case the the outcome it could be just so very bad yeah yeah so i i'm glad that we have a vaccine i am hoping to be in line to get it although i'm i'm going to be in the one of the last tiers but yeah. um it's it. Well, I Kathy, just wish I were here a little bit sooner. Yeah. So. I'm, again, I'm thank thank you for the call from Ryo, and I'm very sorry for yep. your loss. I appreciate. It. Yep. Yeah. No, that's a real Ryo. Is um, it's like Columbia County. It's kind of by by Portage and Baraboo and and right right in there. I've actually been to the town. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Um, let's talk to Gail in uh, Madison. Gail, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Gail. Uh, yes, my mother. Um, moved into assisted living actually in February this past year, <clears throat> which was poor timing on our part. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sometimes you, sometimes you don't have any control over those things, though. You know, it's well, yeah. she she was living with me, so it's like a little bit of guilt there. Yeah. Um, but if she could have the vaccine yesterday, she would have had it. Mm-hmm. She wants so much to be able to resume being able to go out and be with people and right. do things. Um, for 93, she's very healthy and very active. Right. Uh, it's just a, I needed the break from her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, well, I, I mean, I, I understand exactly that. I mean, you have, that's what's, you know, that's what's, so insidious about what what's going on. And I mean, I understand why we've had the lockdowns and stuff, but you you have people. And I, for example, I have I have friends in in their eighties who are very very active, very very vibrant. But you know, they've kind of just be, because they understand that if they get it, it's there's a possibility for some really bad stuff to happen. They they've kind of said, okay, well, we're not going out. We're not doing all these things that we like to do. And it just it just kind of breaks your heart where you say, gee, I, I'm used to going out with my friend, you know, once every ten days, and we go out to dinner or we go out and have a drink or something, and and they just don't feel comfortable doing that anymore. So we, we don't. And I'm thinking, how, you know, you're you only got so much time on this world, and you're sort of you know, when, when you know that, you know, the, those sands and that hourglass are running out and you, you can't go out and enjoy things. How awful is that? Exactly. That's what we've been. We've had her out a couple times this summer outdoors. But, um, yeah, it's, right. it's been a rough year. Right. It's been a rough year. Right. So she's going to be first in line as soon as she gets it gets the opportunity. <laughs> if they ask for volunteers, she'd have been the first one there. <laughs> Got it, Gail. Thank, thanks for the call, and and don't don't beat yourself up on the assisted living thing. Those, those are, you, you you make the best decision you can at the the time. And candidly, I mean, I don't think anybody saw. I don't think anybody or at least not too many people, saw that the, the, the pandemic taking all the various turns that it, it did. Uh, Brian in Wauwatosa. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hey, good morning. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, uh, you know, I'm kind of like uh, kind of like your uh, uh, your father, kind of skeptical of the whole thing. And you know, in contrast to your first caller, Kathy, I also have uh, parents who live in Manitowoc. But I kind of worry about the FDA. Even though they put their stamp on this, they might be rushing it through because they're kind of forced to, as more and more people are are being unfortunately uh, passing away from this. And I kind of look at it kind of like when you buy a like a new when a new car model comes out. I mean, do you really want to buy that first? your model because there's kind of like some bugs that need to get reworked and i'm kind of thinking that might be the same way with this vaccine and that's what worries me about it until there's side effects that might come down the road we won't know that until people have taken this and you know get results in time uh, brian thanks to call i guess my response let's use the car analogy and of course we're you know buying a car is is different than you know protecting yourself from if you're 90 years old and you're in a in your you're in a nursing home um you know buying a car is a little bit different than you know getting a vaccine that that might save your life but i mean to, to answer i guess i mean i guess the question becomes would you buy a car the first model year that's out my answer would be well it it depends i mean what's what's the choice is the choice that I, I'm my car is now broken down and I can either buy that model car or I, I can walk or take the bus for the next year or, or so. You know, what, what are the different options that are out there? And I guess that would be my answer to this. And again, everybody has to f- have their own comfort levels for it. But on a personal level, again, if my parents were alive and they asked me the, the question, you know, do you think we should get it? And and there wasn't a medical reason not to. I mean, that's that's always the caveat. There's some people out there that, that can't get, that, that do have allergic reactions to things or, or whatever. But, but assuming for the sake of argument that you're not in that situation, um, I... I think, you know, that's that's where you, you go and that's what you do. Okay, Lois in Colgate. Lois, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Lois. Uh, I'm 93 years old and I'll be first in line. You're 93 and you will be first in line. God bless no, I'm you. I'm only 92. Don't oh, make it worse. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll, I'm... <laughs> Hey, hey, Lois, 92, that, that rocks as far as I'm concerned. Okay, you know, do you have any concerns about this? Or, or I mean, why are you going to why are you gonna be first in line? Well, because I don't want to get COVID. Yeah, right. I make, I, it makes sense to me. No, th- thanks for call. I don't know where to go with that. Lo- Lois is exactly right. I'm 92 years old. I can make my own choices. I don't want to get COVID, so I'm going to do it. You go ahead, Lois. You rock. You rock. Back with more in just a minute. Interesting responses to this this question. Uh, Jeff, I'm 67. I will run out to get it. Our mom is 93. She can't wait in line. She can't wait to get the vaccine. Here's another one. Jeff, my grandfather turned 103 this summer. <laughs> wow. I couldn't celebrate it with him because the COVID kept us apart. And not being with him then was heartbreaking. We haven't been able to see him for a full year. And obviously, time with him is very precious. He will be first in line if he can be. The potential adverse reactions are minimal compared to his ability to be vaccinated. My biggest concern is not the potential reactions, but more the time between the doses. I don't want him to go out and start partying until he gets both shots. God bless him. Just, just, I think that's, you know, that's it. Um, uh, Jeff, of course, you have to have people get it. The odds are overwhelmingly in favor of getting the shot. Um, you know, we need to do this to stop all the, the heartbreak. Um, let's see. Again, it, it's, 
it's a different sort of thing for for people. Um, Jeff, I want to believe that vaccines will be safe. I hope they are. I'm not sure if I would tell someone to get it. Well, I mean, again, it's it's this balancing act that you have to end up having. I mean, what's how is not getting it affecting your life? And if you're in one of those categories, the particularly high risk category, and you're essentially, you know, confined, you know, you're in the nursing home and you can't go out, you can't see people, at some point in time you start to do this risk benefit thing and say, Yeah, I, I know that there's a potential adverse reaction, but you know, I, I wanna I wanna start living my life again and and by the way, I'm worried that if I get COVID it's gonna take me anyhow. So you're gonna do the balancing. If I were doing the balancing, I think, again, just like I've already said, once the shot becomes available, once the vaccine becomes available to somebody in my category, I'm there. And if it turns out I've made a mistake and I have a reaction to it, well, okay, that's that's on me. But I'm going to get it. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, yesterday's program, we talked about the announcement that the Cleveland Indians baseball team had made that uh, even though they'd been the Cleveland Indians since 1915, they were now deciding that they were going to get rid of that nickname and all Native American references. Don't know what they're going to be moving forward. Of course, the interesting question some people pointed out is, well, what about the the movie Major League that was filmed at Old County Stadium in Milwaukee and features Bob Euchre? That was... That, and Charlie, a young Charlie Sheen, that was the, that was the Cleveland Indians. Now Milwaukee, you know, stood in for, for Cleveland. And are, are we now going to be at a point where we have to, I don't know, erase that particular movie? Can you not show that anymore? Has that become sort of like Walt Disney's Song of the South? Is it so politically incorrect? And, and time will tell with that. But right before my program ended and we turned it over to Wisconsin's Afternoon News, John and Melissa were saying, well, one of the things we're going to do with, with callers is if the Brewers had to change their name, what, what would their name be? And because I'm that guy, my answer was the Indians. <laughs> we'll make them walk Indians. And we, I did that to be funny. But there, there's a larger issue to this. Now, keep in mind, before there was the there were the Milwaukee Brewers, what was the baseball team in Milwaukee? Yes, it was the Milwaukee Braves. And the Milwaukee Braves moved to Atlanta in, what, 1965, I think it was. And they are still the Atlanta Braves. Well, all right. Now that the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, have caved in and made the decision that they're no longer going to be the Indians, the focus of attention has turned to the Atlanta Braves. I have in my hand, now, of course, Atlanta is in Georgia. What's going on in Georgia right now? Oh, yeah, you've got politics. You've got on, what is it, on January 5th, which is that Tuesday, you've got the runoff for two Senate seats that are ultimately going to determine whether Republicans or Democrats control the U.S. Senate. And now that the Indians have decided that they're not going to be the Indians anymore, the question becomes, you know, what happens to the Braves? Now, I have in my hand a story, um, statements issued by the two Republican senators from Georgia who are both up for election again again in uh, early January, and they issued a statement. We adamantly oppose any effort to rename the Atlanta Braves, one of our state's most storied and successful sports franchises. Not only are the Braves a Georgia institution, 
that they stole from Milwaukee. With a history spanning 54 years in Atlanta, they are an American institution. The Braves' name honors our nation's Native American heritage, which should not be erased. And under no circumstances should one of the most celebrated teams in sports cave to the demands of the cancel culture and the radical left. Okay, that's the statement issued by the two Republican senators from Georgia. I'm looking at a story in today's Atlanta Journal um, Constitution, you know, discussing this issue. And the Braves, at least thus far, have said they're, they're, they're not making a change. It's it just it's not going to happen. But, of course, that's what the Washington Redskins football team said, and that's what the Cleveland Indians baseball team said. Here's how the Atlanta Journal-Constitution writes this. Within the Native American community, there are strong and varied opinions on the use of the names Braves and associated imagery. Many Native American people, including the National Council of American Indians, have called for the Braves to change both their names name and in the use of the tomahawk chop you know if you've ever seen uh, you know you, like a braves game when they're rallying or something good happens the fans all stand up and they do like a tomahawk chop all right uh, the national council on american indians have called for the braves to change both their name and in the use of the chop asserting the braves name and use of the chop perpetuates the warrior savage myth some take issue with the chop but not necessarily the name in and of itself. Some are not offended by either. Braves fans have expressed similar sentiments on both sides of the issue. In other words, there's not a consensus, even in the Native American community, about whether or not Braves is offensive, whether or not the tomahawk chop needs to go. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. It is very clear to me, in the world of professional sports, the, the next team that is going to get focused on is, in fact, the Atlanta, formerly Milwaukee Braves. So let's tee this up. Given the fact that the Redskins have ditched their nickname, given the fact that the Indians are getting rid of theirs, the Atlanta Braves... Should they do away with that name as well, understanding that there's, even in the Native American community, there's not a consensus one way or the other. Some people are offended. Some people aren't. All right, what do you think? 855-616-1620. Um, candidly, I think, I, I think that the senators are on the right side of this issue, and I think the majority of people in Georgia are going to be agreeing with them on, on this thing. I, I love the, uh, their statement. The part I liked was where they say, the Braves' name honors our nation's Native American heritage, which should not be erased, and under no circumstances should one of the most celebrated teams in sports cave to the demands of the cancel culture and the radical left. Is the term Braves... Is that inherently racist and offensive? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All right, the Cleveland Indians, they will be no more. There is pressure being brought now on the Atlanta Braves, formerly the Milwaukee Braves, to drop their name. So far, the Braves say no, because the Indians said that and the Redskins said that as well. Braves are saying no. Two Republican senators in Georgia are weighing in saying, look, this is not a term of disrespect and we can't let the cancel culture win out. Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, um, my view is the cancel culture that is being canceled is the white privilege culture of 
taking a people, dictating what their name will be, dictating how they will be presented and depicted as people. And when those people speak up and say, hey, you know, we're not we're not okay with what you decided we are, now that cancel culture, and it is to a degree, and it is. But who gets to speak up? I mean, you, you are assuming, aren't you being... <laughs> Aren't you being racist when you assume that every Native American feels the same way about something? Because I will tell you, in this area, just like Absolutely the thing I not. quoted, well, you're not being racist when you say that's, that? That's anecdotal. So there, there's anecdotal evidence that some people don't care. I mean, yeah. there was there's anecdotal evidence of black people. I'm, I'm sorry, I thought we, you, you dropped your, your phone dropped out. I'm sorry, I don't. I no, see, I it's, it's anecdotal. No, but but see, I that, that that's to me, it's it's the white privilege that you get the the that the the liberal cancel culture gets to say, well, we know what's best for people, or you, you assume that things are monolithic. Now, I, I do think you can come up with examples. For example, there are certain situations where. Uh, let, let's use a derogatory racial term where everybody, I think, would agree that, okay, this particular word is racist and it's not acceptable. All right. I don't think Braves fits in that category. I don't think Chiefs fits in that category. I don't think Indians fits in that category. Now, I'm sure that there are some people, some Native Americans who, who don't like that, that term. Well, I, I think that 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 lumps us all in a category, and my guess is there's all sorts of other people who who don't. As a matter of fact, that's what the that's what the story in the Atlanta Journal Constitution is. You know, people are all over the map with this. So the question becomes, who gets to end up making that particular decision, and and, and who decides? But this idea that well, I, I I think that you know we have to just automatically assume that somebody from a different culture is going to be offended by that. To me, that's the stereotype typical and the semi-racist sort of thing without recognizing that people are individuals. I mean, it's I was saying this yesterday. I mean, my, my mom was all Irish. So do I get to object to the fact that it's the name fighting Irish? I mean, where do you end up drawing the line? Jeff, if I were a Native American, I would be honored to have a team named after me. That's from Marsha in Brandon. Jeff, I do not want to see the Braves name change. I personally see it as an honor. The tomahawk chop probably should be eliminated. Now, I think that's I think that's a different story and I think that's a different kind of issue. The the tomahawk I, I the, the tomahawk chop is clearly a throwback to another time. And I think that there's really two sort of issues here. My guess is the Atlanta Braves are probably looking, you know, long and hard at, at, at whether or not you can discourage people from doing that. Um, let's see, Jeff, I, I guess I'm not understanding in the year 2020 um, that um, people wouldn't think that Native Americans would be honored at the sports teams <clears throat> honoring them. Well, I guess I guess that's kind of the issue. Jeff, you know they were the Boston Braves first. Yes, I, I do. Um, let's see. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, let's see. Jeff, does the National Native American Council feel the word Indian is offensive? Don't know. D- don't know because you know that raises a whole different set of issues jeff i always wonder if all the same people will object to all the other sh- uh, streets rivers lakes around the country that were named for native americans well that's kind of the issue you know in, in mcguanago they are the mcguanago indians 
and McGuanago has no intention of changing at this point in time. Their, their high school mascot, of course, McGuanago means the the what the the home of the bear. And if you drive through McGuanago to go, for example, visit my friends Barb and Bob, you know, you're, you're I, I would say probably eighty percent of the streets you are driving on have Native American names to them. All right. Bottom line is. There's going to be pressure that's brought. There's no question about it to try to make this change. Right now, the Braves say no. I think the tomahawk chop might end up going in the next couple years. But um, as to whether or not the Braves' nickname goes, I I think they're going to probably stick to their guns. And I I just I don't see the forces of political correctness winning in this particular one. And, And by the way, I think Braves are different. I think that's different than Redskins. And, I mean, I understand why you would look at the term Redskins and say, okay, this is a pejorative term um, in and of itself. Braves, that's a tougher one. Will they change? I don't think so, and I certainly don't think they're going to do it anytime soon. And if you're trying to figure out from a political perspective in Georgia, which side of this issue do you want to be on, I think the two Republican senators are probably on I don't know if I want to say it's the right side of the issue, but I think they're on the side of the issue where the vast majority of the voting population in Georgia is. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This time of the year just wouldn't be the same without the WTMJ Holiday Show. So even though we can't perform in front of all our loyal fans and listeners this year, we're keeping the tradition alive. Tune in this Sunday at 1 o'clock to hear Gene Miller and the WTMJ players performing a COVID Christmas carol. WTMJ's holiday radio show sponsored by Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland and Professional Construction, Inc. All right. The other big news from yesterday is that the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, Bill Barr, um, announced that he was departing the Trump administration. If, if you're a regular listener to the program, you know this. I I, I sort of know Bill Barr because when I, I served in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Milwaukee and I worked uh, during the Reagan years and during the, the first Bush a- administration. And Bill Barr was the last he was the, the final attorney general under the first President Bush. And I can remember going to Washington a couple times. And I think I've got photos of me with a younger Bill Barr, a younger Jeff Wagner, uh, pictures of me taken with a younger Bill Barr. And I. I always, I liked him a lot. I thought he was a straight shooter. I, I thought he was a, a very, very good attorney general back, you know, when he was the, the attorney general. I was, I've said this before, I was surprised when, after all those years, he came back to the Department of Justice because working for President Trump, and, and whether you, you love President Trump or you hate President Trump, Working for President Trump is a challenge. Um, President Trump goes through aids and goes through aids like like some people change socks. That that's just the, the reality. Because at some point in time, President Trump makes demands on the people that work for him that they either can't comply with or won't comply with. And and it it tends to end in a very bad fashion. I mean, looking at the attorney general's position, that's a classic example. Jeff Sessions, who was the senator, um, who was, of course, the the senator from Alabama, who um, was one of the first supporters in the U.S. Senate of of President Trump. You know, he was President Trump's first attorney general. and, And that relationship quickly soured when 
Jeff Sessions decided that he needed to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate campaign stuff. And, and President Trump just cut him off at the knees ever, ever since then, to the point that not only was Jeff Sessions forced out, but when Sessions ran to get his seat back um, in Alabama, President Trump came down and actually campaigned for the, the opponent. So, you know, once you get on Trump's bad side, boom, you're, you're on the bad side. And I bring that up only because I was surprised when, when Bill Barr, who had been a very successful attorney in private practice. Okay, so he left. He, he, was, he probably stopped being the attorney general in what, 92, maybe early, very early part of 93, let's say 92, you know, that he would come back, you know, 25 year, years later and, you know, work in the Trump administration knowing how how demanding, we'll use the word demanding, how demanding President Trump would be and the fact that there, there's not a there's not a lot of aides that, you know, are, are able to, you know, make it. President Trump doesn't have people that are around him for that long. He He just discards them. But so I was kind of surprised that Bill Barr made the decision to come back. Uh, people tell me, and the, the conventional wisdom is that he came back to work for President Trump because Bill Barr is a big believer in the, the power of the presidency, and he thought that a number of things that had happened legally, etc., were challenges to the presidency, not necessarily challenges to Donald Trump, but challenges to presidential power, period. So he decided to come back, and um, I, I think... You know, whether he hurt his legacy or not, difficult to tell. President Trump clearly soured on Bill Barr at the end. The last couple of weeks of the campaign, you know, President Trump was talking about how there should be all these investigations and we should be investigating, you know, um, you know, Joe Biden and things like that. And I want the Department of Justice doing this, that or the other thing. And, you know, Attorney General Barr wisely ignored those things. He further got on President Trump's bad side when after the election he came out and said that based on the investigations the Department of Justice had had been conducting, they found no evidence of substantial fraud. Um that would have, you know, overcome and overturned the results of the election and and that did not sit well with President Trump. And then the fact that apparently there's been an ongoing investigation, a tax investigation as to whether Hunter Biden is a tax cheat. I have no idea where that's going to go, but but that was not made public before the election. And I, I think that was the right thing to do as well, that I think it would have been wrong to make that that information public. It wasn't like it was an investigation into Joe Biden. It was an investigation into the kid. And who knows where the kid, he's 50 years old, who knows where that's going to go. Bottom line of all this is um, President Trump has soured on Attorney General Barr, and, and he's now announced that he's he's leaving um, several weeks early, what there's about like a, a month left or so in the Trump administration. I, I hope history is kind to Bill Barr because actually I think he's a straight shooter. I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's a really good guy. I worry that he, he tainted his reputation because people on the left are always going to remember, hey, he was the attorney general for Donald Trump. And a lot of the Trump fans are going to remember, oh, he's the guy that sold out the boss because he didn't do this or that or had the audacity to say that the election wasn't rigged. I, I think Attorney General Barr put himself in a very, very difficult position. All I can tell you is I always thought he was a straight shooter. I thought he was a good guy, and um, I wish him well in whatever he does next. All right, back with more in just a minute. We'll find out what John has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.